turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about uh, uh, Bernie May founded uh, a Bible translation ministry that, that ministered really all over the world. And so he tells the story of the Mazatec Indians in southwestern Mexico. And the, it's, it, it turns out that the Mazatec have kind of an interesting worldview. They, they believe that there is a limited amount of good and happiness and knowledge available to us. That there's, a, there's just a, a, a real limited amount of everything that's good, uh, things that uh, knowledge and even happiness to us. And so they believe you have to be really careful about what you give away because the more you give away, the less there is for you. So for example, the Mazatec believe that you know, they would be concerned about having a second child because if you love that second child, that means there's less love for the first child. Isn't that interesting? And, and, then, and then not only that, but they believe that, um, you know, if you share your skill with someone else, that could mean less skill that you actually have. So if you go up to a baker in, in their village and you ask them, how did you learn the art of baking? Uh, you, you'll, you'll oftentimes find out that they'll say, well, I'm self-taught because they have this fear that if they impart their knowledge to someone else, they in turn are going to lose something in that knowledge. And, and then they're very careful about if they see somebody on the street, they're very careful about wishing them a good day because if they wished someone that kind of happiness, that would automatically mean there's less happiness for them. And so, so really what that means and what it speaks to is a scarcity mentality that they have throughout life. That there's just a, a very small amount of happiness, good, and knowledge that exists in the world. So as a result, yeah, you have to really protect yourself and, and kind of guard your happiness and the good in your life. So, so last Sunday, we, we've started this series called Into the Circle. And uh, this is just a short two-week series, so we're going we're gonna to conclude it today. And if you remember, if you were here last Sunday, I talked about John 3.16. And I, I really tried to paint a picture for you of God's extravagant generosity towards us. And I, I really want to just kind of show you that from Scripture, that God loves us, and as a result of His love, He gives to us. And, and so love, by definition, means self-giving. So you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so God loves us, which means he is the ultimate giver. He's an extravagant giver. And we talked about, we really talked about the generosity of God, how God gives himself to himself in the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father and Son love the Spirit, and then, and then vice versa. And what, what that creates, what that is, is the circle of God's love within, within the Godhead, within the Trinity. But God doesn't just give to himself, he gives to all of us. And I shared with you that God gives us taste buds and that God gives us breath. He gives us 23,000 breaths a day, each and every one a gift from God. That he gives us uh, our talents, our abilities, he gives us our money and stuff. And, and most importantly, he gives us the gift of his son, which means uh, by faith, through grace, salvation, and really the kingdom of God. And so the giving of Jesus at Christmas, uh, Emmanuel, means that we are invited into that circle of God's, 
uh, loving relationship. Now, here's the most incredible part of God's generosity towards us. And it's this. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, God is giving to us and we don't even acknowledge and express gratitude for all that he gives to us. That happens most of the time. Now, I, I, what I've experienced as a dad, you know, I've got, I have two sons and they're both in college. And when I do something for them, I, you know, I want them to, I want them to be grateful. You know, I want them to express gratitude. I get a little torqued when I do something for them and they don't, they don't express that gratitude. And, and so what's interesting is, do you know what happens with God when he's doing all of this for us and we don't express gratitude to him? You know what his response is? He doesn't get torqued. <laughs> that, that's the most amazing thing is he, he doesn't get miffed at us. In fact, what he does is he doubles and triples down on the giving. He just keeps on giving. Whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we say thank you or not, he just pours it on into our life. And so it's just interesting how God responds to us. That's just how generous he really is. And so his his giving agenda for us is, is really for one purpose, to invite us into that giving circle of his so that, so that he can give to us and, and then we experience the overflow of his giving and then we give to others and we even give back to God. Why? Because it's a circle of love. Because you see, you can't separate love from giving. So really, when you think about it, the reason why we give, the reason why we are to be the most generous people on the face of the planet is because really the reality of God's love and generosity towards us. But I want to share with you another reason why we are to be generous. And, and that is this, the gains that are received when we give. In other words, when we give, there's always gain. Always. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by this. We often think when I give something, then that, then that means, you know, I have to go without, that I, that, I lose up, that I lose something, that I have to give up something. But what we're going to see from Scripture is really giving doesn't lead to scarcity like the Mazatec Indians believe. What we're going to see from Scripture is that giving leads to abundance, that giving actually leads to more. It's another one of the paradoxes that we see in Scripture. In other words, when, when you give up your life, you actually gain life. When you humble yourself, God raises you up. And when you give, you gain. Now, I, I hear what some of you are thinking right now, because I've done this long enough to know. There's some naysayers in the room, right? There's some, you know, some of us that are maybe a little, little cynical about this, because you're thinking to yourself, Scott, you're the pastor. You're supposed to say this, right? The church has a need, so you're going to position it in the most positive light. And, uh, and, and so you're going to say, when we give, you know, God, God gives back to us. And uh, so let me just kind of address that. Let me clarify that for you. God doesn't need your money. He already has it. It's his. Like everything you have, everything I have, it already belongs to him. It's just, it's just on loan to us. We're just managers. And, and, so, and, and so the reality is God owns everything. There, he, he doesn't, listen church, he doesn't get frustrated over a lack of funds. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the stars. Uh, he created earthly wealth and he created true wealth. And so it all belongs to him. And I would say this, as a church, 
you know, I, God has blessed our church financially because, because so many of, of you just give sacrificially and generally. And what I've noticed as a pastor is where God guides, God provides. What, what, what I've noticed as a pastor is God's work, God's done God's way, never lacks God's supply. But the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because this is what the Bible says. So I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. And so we're going to read a passage from 2 Corinthians 9. And I want to show it to you just firsthand. We're going to read verses 6 through 15. And I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word today? So chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So Paul writes this, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. So he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through, as will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in, in many thanksgivings to God. But by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. I think a lot of times when we're reading a passage of scripture, especially as it relates to giving and serving and, and generosity and that kind of thing I, I think we immediately agree with it in our heads I think we we immediately resonate with it we know that it's right and true and it's good but I think oftentimes we struggle applying it we really struggle getting it from head knowledge to heart knowledge and and throughout our hands where we're actually applying and living God's words like James says you know it, it's one thing to be to, to, to know God's word and to hear God's word. It's another thing to be a doer of God's word. And so one of the reasons why I think we often struggle with this, this particular topic uh, in giving is, is really because of the scarcity mentality. You, you would think we, we've got a lot in common uh, with, with the Mazatec. Um, I, I think we assume that there's only so much good, that there's only so much happiness out there and there's only so much money to be had. And so we have to be you know, really careful to kind of protect it and guard it for ourselves and to kind of hang on to it. And uh, what Paul is saying in this passage so clearly is, is God doesn't deal in scarcity. God, God deals in abundance. Uh, that, that God is not limited by anything. He's God. 
And uh, when we belong to him, that means we are really not limited by anything either. And so what Paul is talking about in this passage specifically is he's talking to the Corinthians. He has been talking to them about, hey, I want to come and visit you. And when I come and visit you, I want you to think about uh, sharing with some of the saints an offering that I can give to them. There were some Christians in Jerusalem that had been experiencing severe drought. And so Paul's collecting an offering and he's going to take it back to them. And, uh, and so he had initially got the Corinthian Christians on board with this. But over time, that enthusiasm and eagerness to give and to support this work started to kind of fizzle out a little bit. They, 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 they lost some steam and that can happen a lot for us. I've noticed that in my own life, I go to a conference or, you know, I'm listening to a sermon in some kind and God's just really speaking into my heart. And I think, man, that, that is so good. That's so true. I really need to take action on this. And uh, in between, you know, me hearing, you know, that session or that lesson and lunchtime, uh, I've completely forgotten about it. You, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that happens to all of us. And I think that's exactly what's going on with the Corinthian Christians. So he's trying to kind of remind them of, hey, this is, this is kind of what you committed to, so, so you need to kind of follow through. Let me, let me just show you how he, how he mentions this in verse 7 of chapter 9. He says, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you, you, you kind of see that. So let's, let's kind of think about this for a minute. And we'll just leave that verse up there. Let me show you kind of what he's saying. He, he's saying, you know, you, you've made a commitment to do this, so, so you've thought about it. You've prayed about it, so you just need to follow through with it. That's just his way of reminding, you know, follow through. And, and then he talks about how to follow through. He says, he, he, he says this, he says, I don't want you to give reluctantly. I, I don't want you to give like fearful that you are not going to have enough. That doesn't glorify God. And, and then he says, I don't want you to give under compulsion. You, you don't need to give under any kind of pressure. So church family, if you ever feel pressure from me to give, that's your red flag to say, you know, I, need, I don't need to give a dime. Because that's not how God wants us to give. He doesn't want us to give reluctantly or, you know, out of fear. And he certainly doesn't want us to give under pressure. He wants to give us, he wants us to give with thought and consideration. And then he throws this in, and this is fascinating. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that word cheerful in the Greek is the word hilaron. Hilaron, that's the word. God loves a hilaron giver. Now, do you know what word we get from the word hilaron? Hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Now, he's not talking about you're a, you're a jokester, you know. He, he's talking about that, that when we give, we give with so much joy. When we give, we, 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 we give with hilarity. We, we give with laughter because we know what God does as we enter into his giving circle. That, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's bringing them back to. That's, what, that's the heart that God is after. So, so if you're giving because you're afraid, you know, God's you know, going to punish you if you don't give, you don't need to give. You know, if you're giving out of obligation or duty, you're like, uh, just got to do this. Basically, you don't need to give. I, I think what God looks at is the heart. Uh, he is saying, I want you to give with hilarity. We, you know, you've heard the slogan, give till it hurts. And uh, there are times, I think, when we have to give sacrificially, 
Uh, but I heard one pastor say, give till it feels good. <laughs> you know, don't stop giving uh, until it feels good. And I think that's kind of the heart of God for all of us because there's this inherent connection between joy and, and giving. You know, I, uh, Gordon McDonald's former pastor and, and church leader, and uh, he and his wife were taking a mission trip to West Africa. And if you ever get an opportunity to go overseas on a mission trip, uh, you should go uh, because, because it'll, it'll just change your life because you see, you, you just, your eyes are open in, in so many different ways. And so Gordon McDonald tells the story, they were visiting this one village in Africa and uh, they were staying there a week, so they got to go to church. So they're walking down to the village church, and they're walking with everybody else. Everybody's kind of heading from the village to the church. And he notices as he's walking, everybody's carrying something. Like one person's got a bag of eggs or a basket of eggs. Another person's like leading a goat, you know. Uh, another person's got vegetables and fruit that they're carrying, and other people are carrying loaves of bread. And, you know, he realizes he's empty-handed, so he turns to his host and says, why is everybody carrying something to church? And uh, his host looked at him and said, don't worry about it. Just, just, you know, just watch and see what happens. So, so they gather and worship. They gather in the church. And, it, and it, it, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're singing and they're worshiping. And then all of a sudden people start moving forward, carrying all this stuff. And they start placing it down front. And people are clapping. People are dancing. People are laughing. People are singing. They're worshiping. It's the most joyful thing. And the host looks over at uh, Gordon McDonald and he says, it's the offering time. And people were giving just out of joy and out of laughter because they realized they were entering into God's giving circle, that when they give, God will bless and give them right back. And what G Gordon McDonald says, he said in all of his years of ministry in the States, he had never seen not one time Americans give in that way to give that joyfully, to give uh, with so much laughter and so much happiness. So here, here's the question that I have. What is it that motivates that kind of giving? What, what is it that leads to that kind of hilarity in giving? I think, I think part of it is what we talked about last week when you realize the generosity of God. But I think another part is when you have the perspective of what's gained in our giving. And I wanna, I wanna share with you three gains uh, that come really from our giving. The first one is there, when generosity gains more for me. It gains more for me. Now, let me, let me uh, kind of unpack this. Uh, and we see this in verse six. And, and uh, I, I think Paul begins here because he gets everybody's attention. I think this is right where he begins. And he just kind of boils it down and he says, he, he says it like this in verse 6. He says, the point is, and whenever he says the point is, that means that's the point. Okay, so that's kind of obvious, but anyway. Um, but he says this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So what he's saying is there's a direct connection between God's blessing on us and how we bless other people. There is a direct connection there. In other words, the principle is this, that as I bless others, God blesses me. As I give to others, God gives back to me. That's exactly what he's talking about. This is God's giving circle. That as I live my life in faith, as I trust God, as I realize he's the owner of it all, I'm just a manager, I'm just a steward, and as I am a conduit of those blessings, whatever they might be, 
your, your time, your treasure, your talent, whatever it might be, God gives right back to me. That's exactly what he's saying. Let me show it to you in another passage, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. The writer of Proverbs says this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. In other words, if, if you're, you're living your life to refresh and give to others, guess what? You're gonna be refreshed. That's what the principle from Proverbs is, is really talking about. Let me show you what, what Jesus says about this. Look at, look at Luke 6, 38. We talked a little bit about this last week, but let's look at it again. Jesus says, give and it'll be given to you. And then he describes how it's going to be given to you. So he says, give and it'll be given to you. He talks about God's going to take a good measure. And then what he's going to do is he's going to press it down just to, just to create as much room as he can. And then he's going to shake it together just to fill every crevice. And, and, then, and then he's going he's to fill it to running over and then he's going to pour it into your lap. That's what he's saying there. And then he tags it with, for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, church, I don't know of another way to interpret that. I mean, that's just plain as day. Give, and it'll be given to you. In fact, God says, I will outdo your giving. He's talking about this principle that when you give, you gain. That our giving leads to a greater abundance. As a pastor, church, I would be a fool if I didn't show you this from scripture. See, the church has enough. The church has plenty. But I want you to enter into God's giving circle. That's, that, is, that is my agenda today. I heard the story about a farmer who was really, really blessed and uh, just very wealthy as a farmer, but he was also very generous. And there's this whole thing, you know, God blessing him and then he, he blesses others. And finally, one of his friends asked him, asked this farmer, he said, how in the world does that work? I, it, I, I notice all that you do for other people and how you give and, and, uh, and support other people, but I also know how successful you are. And the farmer looked back at him and said, well, you know, uh, I, I shovel into God's barn and he shovels into my barn. It's just, he's got a bigger shovel than I do. And uh, I really like that because the principle is this, you, you can't outgive God. He's not gonna be outdone by your giving. You're not gonna outgive him. And I guarantee you, there are scores of people in this room who know this, who've experienced this every single day. They know about God's giving circle that when God blesses, when you bless others, he blesses you. Now, the question then becomes, well, what is gained? What do we actually gain in return? I, I, think, there's, I think there's three parts of the gain that, that we receive. And uh, the first one is this. I, I think uh, we gain materially more. Okay, we gain materially more. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not in any way propagating prosperity theology, okay? So don't, you know, don't even uh, think that I'm going there. But, but I think there is a gain in giving. Let me show it to you from Scripture. Uh, verse 10, notice, notice what is said. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and will multiply your seed for sowing. Now that's pretty clear. There's just straightforward right there. Now I want you to notice the two things that God gives. He gives, first of all, bread. So he talks about, he supplies bread for food. 
this is a metaphor that he's using. But what he's talking about is God will supply your needs. It's that, that is supplied by God. He's going to supply bread. It's like Jesus saying, you know, give us this day our daily bread. He's talking about our daily needs. God has promised to take care of those needs. It's like Philippians 4 where Paul says, um, you know, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So that's a huge promise. So that's the first thing that he's promised. That's part of the materially more that he gives to us. But then it says that he supplies seed to us. Now seed is a little bit different. Seed is not bread. Seed is, seed is not to be held onto. What do you do with seed? You plant it. You, you put it in the ground. You, you give it away. So God blesses us with bread and then he blesses us with seed so that we put that seed in the ground, we scatter the seed, we give, we give that seed, and what does God do with it? Does he, does he give us seed so that we can have a Lamborghini and three vacation homes and, you know, you know, a couple of RVs? No, he gives to us so that we might give to others. That's what he's talking about. That's the materially more that he's talking about in verse 10. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, for giving. And so it reminds me of the, of the parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25. He tells the story of this landowner who divides up his land and he, and he delegates it out to, to three different stewards. And, uh, and uh, he challenges them to use it and uh, multiply it and uh, and, and two of the stewards, you know, they gain a return on what they, what they have with the land. And uh, what was the response of the landowner when he came back to audit his land? The response to the two that were faithful was, well done, good and faithful servant. And he said, you've been faithful and little, and I will give you more. That's what Jesus says in that, in that parable of the landover. And so, so there's an increasing blessing as we enter into this circle of giving. And, uh, and so, now that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean you're, you're gonna have, you know, more stuff and you're gonna be healthy and wealthy and, you know, like, like the prosperity preachers. But he's gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. That's the bottom line. But there's secondly, spiritually more that is gained when I give. There's spiritually more. Look at this in verse 10. He says this, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And notice what he does. He'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, we know from the gospel, we're not made righteous by our giving. I mean, Jesus makes us righteous by, by faith and, and through grace that his working in our life. But what is he talking about that he's going to increase the harvest of our righteousness? I think what he's talking about here is as we enter into the giving circle, as we receive from God and then pass that on and give to others, something changes within us. The grip of greed loses its power. We gain a freedom in our lives. And uh, we become, as we participate in the giving circle, we become like God because he's a giver. So his character begins to be replicated within us. And so we experience a harvest. And that reminds me of Galatians 5 where the Apostle Paul talks about fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. And I think what's gained is a, a, uh, a spiritual harvest of fruit in our lives, more love 
more patience, um, more faith, and even even more joy as we give. I think that's what I think that's what the harvest of righteousness that he is talking about. It's interesting. You, you, you guys know what a miser is, right? A miser is someone that hoards their stuff. Uh, they, you know, they spend as little as possible. Um, it's interesting, that word miser is the root word for miserable. It is. And so when we give, we experience, we experience joy. So there's materially more, there's spiritually more, and then there's one more, there's eternally more. And this is a big one, and I want to show this to you. This is, this, is, um, this is interesting. Let me show it to you, Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So he's setting up a contrast between treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. And he describes the treasures in heaven. Moth and rust won't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal. And, uh, and so what he's doing is he's helping us to see there's two kinds of treasure. And what he's saying is, don't let your life be consumed with treasure on earth. He says, what I want, what I want your life to be focused on is treasure in heaven. Now, we have to manage earthly treasure. I mean, we've got to pay bills and feed our families. We, we, we have to do that. But the difference is this. What Jesus is saying here is, I want your heart set on treasure in heaven. We have to manage earthly treasure. But where I want your heart is on heavenly treasure. That's why he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. Now, I shared this last week and I want to come back to it this morning. I think God's generosity and God's giving to us has an end game to it. It has an agenda to it. And that agenda, that end game is relationship. I think God is so generous. He's so loving and he is always giving to us because he wants our eyes to be open to his generosity. And he wants us to enter into that, into that giving circle really for the benefit of relationship. For the benefit of relationships. And so my theory is this. That true riches, true wealth, true prosperity, heavenly wealth is relational wealth it is and that's where that's where God wants to aim our hearts that's where he wants to move our hearts to see that there are only two things that last forever God and other people relationships now let me show you what I mean by this look with me at Luke 16 9 this is a very interesting verse I wish Jesus would have unpacked this a little bit more but notice what he says here. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Make relationships for yourselves. How do we do that? By means of unrighteous wealth. So take earthly wealth, take earthly money and use it in a way so that we can build relationships so that, Jesus says, when it fails. Now, when is earthly wealth, unrighteous wealth, when is that going to fail? It's going to fail at death because I've never seen a hearse pull a U-Haul. I've never seen that. 
you're not going to take it with you. There's not going to be your checking account in heaven. So it's going to fail at the moment that you die because it can't do anything for you at that point. So that when it fails, they, those friends may receive you into eternal dwellings. So what is he saying? I, I think very simply what he's saying is we need to use our earthly wealth to invest in the kingdom of God. That we need to use the resources that we have to invest in relationships so that when we get in on the other side, there are going to be people waiting for us, ready to receive us into the eternal dwellings. I think that what's going to happen when we get to heaven is we're going to have, we're going to have awareness of the choices that we've made. And we're going to be able to see that when, when I gave to this ministry and I gave you know, to, to help someone in need there, we're going to be able to see the ripple effect on down the line of how that impacted and blessed other people so that people are going to come up to you in heaven and say, thank you for your giving because your giving impacted me and it changed my life. And there is a relationship right there. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't know any other way to interpret that for you. And I think that is God's end game for his generosity for us. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. So that's generosity that's gained just for me. But there's also generosity that's gained for others. Now, how would we kind of talk about this? Well, I, let, me, let me tell you a quick story. You know, when I was, I was in high school... And uh, God just did a work in me when I was 10th grade and God called me into the ministry. And uh, I knew straight, I knew very early on uh, the path that God had me on. And so God called me to go to this Asbury University and uh, I was gonna go on to seminary right afterwards. And, um, and I'll never forget, I, I, I went to my parents and I said, mom and dad, I said, God's called me to go to Asbury University. And my parents just kind of chuckled. They're like, Scott, we don't have the money to send you to a private, you know, university or private college. And I'm like, well, I'm just telling you where God's calling me. So, so I kind of went on the faith promise plan. I'm just trusting God and trusting the promises of God. And, um, and I can't tell you all how many times God provided and blessed me through other people to be able to get through college and to get through seminary. I remember one time in particular, it was my senior year at Asbury uh, at the, at you know, undergrad, and uh, I owed $1,000 on my account. And uh, it was May, and they would not release my diploma until I paid that final 1000 And this is back when $1,000 was a lot of money. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like um, back when it was really a lot of money. And so I'm like, I just don't have this. I'm living off $300 a month. That's what I'm living off of. And uh, so I told them, I said, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay this. And what was interesting is I could start, I could begin seminary in the fall. I had that covered, but I couldn't finish off paying my last semester at Asbury University. So don't ask me how I figured that out. It's just kind of complicated. But uh, so I just started praying about it. And I prayed about it for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And then I went to my mailbox one day, it was end of June. And, um, and I got a letter from my sixth grade teacher. Her name is Elizabeth Sherling. I hadn't talked to her in a long time. She had no idea. I opened it up and she sent a letter to me and she said, Scott, uh, I sold a piece of property and God told me to send you a check. 
You guys know how much the check was for? Exactly $1,000. She had no idea. That's exactly what I needed. So I rushed right over to the university and I paid that thing and got my diploma out of hock. So, uh, and, uh, but the thing that I know is her generosity gained more for others. It gained something for me. She had a role in me preparing for the ministry and I think that gain even goes to you because, because I'm, I'm here today. And I could tell you story after story like that where God grew my faith as he provided supernaturally in so many ways. And, and, and let me just show it to you in verse nine. He, he says it like this, as it is written, he is distributed freely for he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. And so the reason why God gives is because it's a testimony to his righteousness. It's a testimony to, when you think about Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, his righteousness was on display in the first century and in the second and the third. As, as you know, people preached the gospel, as people lived generously as a result of God working in their life, the righteousness of God gets told from person to person because God was given to me, now I give to others. And God works in my life. And so that's how his righteousness endures forever through your sharing and through your giving and through my sharing and my giving. I think about, you know, this coming June, we're going to do VBS. This room is going to be filled with elementary school kids for VBS. And we're going to be sowing gospel seeds in the hearts of those kids and teaching them scripture and teaching them the gospel, helping them memorize scripture. So what, what are we doing? We're scattering seed so that God's righteousness will be manifest in the next generation. Your giving goes to that. Just like your giving goes all the way to El Salvador to sow seeds of righteousness even there. And so your generosity gains more uh, for you and for me. It gains more for others. And then third, our generosity gains more for God. Look, at, look with me at verse 11. Notice what he says. In verse 11 here, he says, you'll be enriched in every way. So that's the gain for yourself. To be generous in every way, that's the gain for others. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's the gain for God. So do you see the circle there? And uh, there it is. Gain for yourself, gain for others, and gain for God. So what is gain for God? Glory. That's what's gained for God. And you see that in verse 13. By their approval of this service, and what he means the service, they're giving, they're, they're participating in this offering. They will, the Christians back in Jerusalem, will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, the Jerusalem Christians will praise God. They will give glory to him because of the generosity of the Corinthian Christians. That's what he's talking about. And so what is gained in God in all of this is his glory. That's what we're about. That's why we give, is for the bottom line glory of God. And so God moves us into hilarity when you see the entire connection, the entire circle of what's happening when we live in, in that kind of generosity. We get to share 
in the glory of God. We get to participate in the glory of God. Let me close with this and then I'm done. So John Orberg used to be a, a pastor in Chicago and he was telling the story of he would get, he and his family would often get Bulls tickets. This was during the 90s. Um, and they would get Bulls tickets and they would sit right at where the players come into the United Center and go onto the court. And, uh, and he just made an observation about how much the fans would reach out, you know, their hands and try to get high fives from Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all those guys. Um, and, and he just talked about how much we, we want to connect with glory. We, we want to we share in glory. We want to touch it. We want to be a part of it. And uh, it just kind of brought to mind, you know, this desire that all of us have within us to kind of experience that kind of glory. And, and, uh, and so back during the 90s, there was a player that used to play for the Bulls. His name was Stacy King. And uh, Stacy King was a re reserve player. He was just kind of deep on the bench. And he only started like six games. And he averaged 15 minutes per game. And Stacey King tells the story of his greatest game, his greatest memory as a Chicago Bull. And this was, this was even greater than any of the championships that he was a part of. One night, he got a lot of playing time when the Bulls and the Cavaliers went into overtime. And he played a huge role in their victory. Because you see Stacey King, a reserve player, and Michael Jordan combined together for 70 points to win the game against the Cavaliers. Michael Jordan got 69. <laughs> and Stacy King got one. But he said, that was the highlight of my career. Even more, high, even more of a highlight than winning championships. Because I got to participate in it. Here's what I know, church. When we give, we enter into the circle of God's love we enter into the circle of God's glory. And as we give, your awareness goes to how he's giving you and God is glorified in it. And you're like, there's no other explanation for why I'm blessed other than God and his generosity. And then you take it and you give it away. And then that glory is shared. And in that way, we get to share in the glory of God. It's really very similar to the glory that Jesus revealed to us on the cross and on that first Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead. We get to participate and share in the glory of God. God has opened it up wide because there's no scarcity. There's no limitation with God. There's just abundance. Abundance of provision, an abundance of his love, more importantly, an abundance of his grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible generosity. Thank you for the invitation that we can step into your circle, that we can know you, that we can walk with you, that we can experience relationship with you that we can know your glory and participate in it. And even with just a little that we give, God, you take it and make it into a lot. You take it and you win the ultimate championship. And so God, I just ask 
that for every person here today, we, we would have the grace that you would make your grace abound to us more and more in good works, in what we do with our earthly treasures. God, that you would make that grace abound to us, that we would make friends in heaven because we've seen what is ultimately of value, what is ultimately gonna last forever and that that's where our heart would be. And so God, thank you church doesn't need your money you you have it all God you own it all but I just ask you would you would help us to enter in because we need your glory we love your glory and we want to see it more and more and we pray this in Jesus name and all of God's people said amen